Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The word of God. These last few days, uh, my family and I have had the opportunity to uh, go to uh, Great Wolf Lodge, which is this indoor water park place. It's out in Manteca, if you've never been. Um, And, you know, you've seen our kids up here. They're like the perfect age for like indoor water park kind of stuff. And Ander is five, he's our youngest, and as he looks at uh, all of these slides, you know, to him, they're much larger than they are to most of us, right? Uh, and, and we're up at the top, and, um, and he's looking down, and we're going to do this first one, and it's one of those where it's real big, and there's five spots on this big raft, and, and he sits in his little spot, and then he kind of looks over at me, so I hold his hand. Uh, and, and he goes down and, and just, I mean, he had a good time. He enjoyed it. A little scary. A little more scary for him than it was for the older ones. Scary for them than it was for Susan and I. You know, we kind of get used to this. Uh, but as I was looking at the scripture passage today and about this storm, you know, at sea, I kept reflecting on what, what this water means. What it means that, um, I'll get to it uh, a little later in the the sermon here, but all throughout Scripture, water is this chaotic force. It's this force that does two things. It brings life, but it also brings destruction. And, and it's unpredictable. It's, it's woven all the way through. It's this, sometimes there's floods that happen, and sometimes those floods are mild, and they bring nourishment to the soil. And sometimes there's floods that bring destruction, and they bring death, and they They damage whole cities. And and water is this theme of this thing that we need for life, but also this thing that can bring chaos into life. And God is always speaking uh, against that chaos. And uh, it is in that that feeling that we come to today's scripture passage. Now, this is the second in a sermon series on questions that Jesus asked. Um, So we're looking at different places in the gospel that Jesus asked, his disciples or other people, particular questions. And then we're seeing how does that apply to us? How does that apply to us today? So the question for today is, why are you so afraid? It's in the midst of this storm that, that the disciples cry out to Jesus, and he, he responds with, why are you so afraid? And we'll get into it. The, the answer seems fairly obvious. They're in the middle of a storm and they think they're going to die. The storm has been raging, and and they think that this is the end of them, and they've cried out for help. But they're not alone. Jesus is alongside them. So as we look through this passage, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to look at uh, the passage in Scripture right here in Matthew and kind of look at what's going on there. But I also want you to keep one ear open for what this means for your life. What this means uh, when we cry out 
to Jesus in our times of struggle, in our times of hurt, in our times of pain, when the world feels like a storm around us and it won't stop, and we've been fighting against it, and we've been fighting against it, but it won't slow down. And we cry out for help. At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, here we are in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. And at this point, we've been told about four disciples that are with Jesus, and we're we're told here that, that he gets in a boat with his disciples. So the disciples we've been told about already are Peter and Andrew and James and John. And that was back in chapter 4. Now, one thing that we know about them is that they were all experienced fishermen. These aren't like the tax collectors yet. <laughs> so he's, he's here, Jesus is in the boat, and he's in there with fishermen. If anything, Jesus is in good hands. That sounds funny, right? Thank you for the, thank you for the laughter. <laughs> that was a joke. But <laughs> Jesus is in good hands here. He's in a boat. He's on the Sea of Galilee. He's with some fishermen. They should be able to take care of him. These are people who have probably crossed this very sea many times. Uh, and we think they're probably traveling at night because Jesus is asleep. And in the Sea of Galilee, if you don't know much about it, it's, it's fresh water. It's, it's good to drink. It's, good, uh, it's, it's a wonderful sea if what you are is professional fishermen. It's known for having pleasant temperatures year-round. Uh, it's not abnormal that... Uh, you would be able to, uh, to sleep outside, as we're told that Jesus is sleeping here in the boat. The, the weather is normally quite nice. There's clear, sandy beaches. It's stocked well with fish. It's actually, uh, for the area, it's at this really low elevation. So it's 636 feet below sea level. Uh, and what that means is that it has these mild year-round temperatures. So, so as it's, it's low, the the cooler weather kind of uh, settles in there, and it's, it's very nice. However, it's 636 feet below sea level, but on the east and to the west side, there's mountain ranges. Have you ever been in a lake with mountains near it, which I'm guessing some of you have, considering where many of you live, uh, you know that the weather can be unpredictable. Uh, these kind of lakes, it's it, how it happens, where, where the weather comes over the mountains and it can swoop down into the lake and you don't see it coming. Uh, so the Sea of Galilee is also known for its violent, sudden storms. They sneak up on you. You don't see them coming, and all of a sudden it's too late and you, you're too far out to sea. And, and it's actually been recorded that even today these storms can get waves up over seven feet on this sea. So this is not... Uh, our pond out here at the end of the parking lot <laughs> that they're out in the middle of, right? They're out in the middle of the sea and, and the storm comes and even these experienced fishermen are afraid. And a seven-foot wave is easily capable of swamping any boat that they would have been in. Brings us to verse 23. Then they got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. So here we find Jesus in the boat with his disciples. 
Notice these are not just the crowds that have been following him. These are his closest companions. These are the ones who have been with him. These are the followers. They are in the storm. So you can't really say, like, Jesus, I follow you. Why am I in a storm? Well, read Matthew 8. <laughs> Here the disciples themselves, his closest companions, are in a storm. And in the storm, uh, they are paddling. They are fighting against the waves and the wind. They're doing all that they can do. They think that, that if they fight enough, see, they have experience. And an experience becomes a little bit of, of danger. Because when Andrew was at the water park, he had no experience at the top of the slide. So the first thing he did was reach out for help. The very first thing he did was reach out for my hand so I could hold it. And then he felt better. The older kids, they had experience. So they tried to hold on themselves. And that's so much of us, right? We go through these storms and life stuff comes up and we've like, you know, we've been here before. We have experience. We can handle this on our own. It doesn't even occur to us right away, oh, maybe I should ask Jesus, who's in the boat with me, for help. Jesus himself is in the boat. He's asleep. Might have been a good idea to wake him up right away. But no, we find them here and they're fighting against the storm. Verse 26. Or before that, they cried out, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. And then he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And it was completely calm. The men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, the storm that they were in just a few seconds ago was threatening to take their own lives to the point where they called out, for help, they cried out, and now the storm is gone. Storms don't normally do that. But the storm is completely calm, and there's no trace of it around them. And, and these sailors, these, these fishermen, their eyes were once set on this storm. They were watching the waves, they were watching the wind, they were wondering what they could do, and their whole minds were set on the storm that was in front of them. And now that it is calm, they have turned to Jesus. Only now that it's calm do they turn to Jesus. I'm not sure they're supposed to be our models for what we do in the storm. If that's how you've read it before, like I, I don't know if that's uh, what's going on here. I don't know if the disciples, if we're supposed to uh, look at this and be like, okay, so maybe I should fight this storm in my life by myself for, I don't know, let's just say years. And then finally, once I cry out to Jesus and, and he does something, then I finally turn my eyes to him. Then I can finally acknowledge him. 
You know, there's actually a lot going on in this passage. It's pretty short uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew here. Uh, but if we back up a little bit, there's, there's a lot uh, going on, and I think, you'll, I think you'll find this interesting. So if we go back to the book of Genesis, water, as I said in the beginning, is, is often this chaotic force. And, and many scholars re- just refer to it as the chaos waters. So it brings destruction. It can bring uh, devastation. If you think about uh, you know, ancient cultures, they're looking at the world, and sometimes it brings rain, and it brings life, and sometimes it brings floods, and it brings death. And it's unpredictable, and we can't do anything about it. And, and we know what's going on in our world around us, and we know that, that it can be hard. And what I find so fascinating is that that's not just in the Bible. There's actually other ancient Near Eastern literature that describes water the exact same way. So if you're not an ancient Near Eastern literature buff, uh, and I'm sure many of you are, but if you're not, just in case, uh, let me get you going a little bit here. So the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the, the ancient Sumerians, or some, yeah, Sumerians, uh, these are the ones I'm talking about. And, and one of the things that happens um, is that water is this powerful force, and they also live at places like the Tigris and Euphrates River and the Nile River where, where they have these seasonal floods. Right? But they also remember times of catastrophic Blood. So, uh, let's just take the Babylonians. Hopefully you're all not ancient Babylonian uh, expert theologians. So, I'll try to catch you up. There's this Babylonian god. He's their chief god. His name is Marduk. Marduk looks somewhat like the mix between a dragon and a snake, and maybe a wolf. You see him depicted. And, and Marduk is the Babylonian, he's their top god. And, and part of their creation story is that there was this war, and there was these kind of rival families of, of gods, and this sounds very like, I don't know, Zeus and Jupiter and this kind of stuff, right? So there's these rival families of gods, and one of them looks at humanity and decides that they're just not worth living. See, in all of these other ancient Near Eastern texts, humans are just like the scum of the earth. It's in the Bible that humanity is lifted high and made in the image of God. But, but here in the Babylonians, they're just kind of, uh, there's these humans, and they have flesh on their bodies, and they stink. Uh, so we're just, the, one of the gods is just going to wipe out humanity. And Marduk, the, the top god of Babylon, he's, he's going to stand up for humanity. He's going to fight and he wages this great war, and, and the god that's going to wipe them out is, is the god of the water, the chaos waters. And she comes in, and she's, she turns herself into a great sea serpent, and she's, she's going to flood, and, and Marduk decides he's going to ride on this cloud, and he comes flying in. This kind of gets weird. I could tell you're all into it, though. <laughs> so, so Marduk comes flying in on this cloud, and, and he takes out this big net, this fishing net, and he wraps up the sea dragon, and, and then he, he uh, takes water and controls it and, and opens her mouth as she's about to, to eat him and, and throws it into her mouth and, and kind of explodes her from the inside with so much water. It gets, it's a little much. 
You should make a movie. Like a Disney Pixar kind of thing. They did Hercules. Uh, but, But Marduk almost dies in this battle, and he barely comes away alive. So this is, this is how ancient Near Eastern literature goes. There's this chaos water, and it comes, and, and there's this epic battle, and there's this fight, and, and they barely, the god barely lives, and he, and he comes out, and then the god becomes the hero because he defeated the chaos of the water. Now compare this, if you will. Genesis chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. That's the water. Darkness is over the water, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So here we find, in the very beginning of Genesis, the chaos waters. And God is there. And how does God create out of this chaos? How does God form all that is? He just speaks. There's no epic battle. There's no great fight. God doesn't almost die to create it all. These other other stories are nothing. All he does is say the word. And the chaos water can't, can't do anything. About it. He just separates. He creates order where there's only chaos. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad this is our God. Because when life is chaotic, and it feels like those chaos waters are flooding in, I'm glad that we have a God that just speaks, and they obey. There's no need for the battle because there's no competition. So with that in mind, let me reread this verse in Matthew. Let's see what stands out this time. Then he got into the boat with his disciples, and they followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. There was no battle. There's no competition. He stands up. He says the word. And it obeys. Even even the chaos waters obey him. I think we miss a lot. <laughs> I think we miss a lot in our, in our culture, in our own context, when, 
when we miss what, what's going on in, in so much of the Old Testament and into the New. This is really important here. Verse 27. Then the men, meaning his disciples, then the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They only know of one who the winds and the waves obey. That's God. So what kind of man is this? The disciples are starting to put all this together. See, we have the benefit of being uh, thousands of years later and having, quite frankly, uh, read more of the book <laughs> than the disciples at this point, but they're, they're starting to figure out that there's something different about this Jesus. We've seen him do some miracles, and, and that seems great because, you know, God, God can perform miracles. He does that uh, all throughout the Old Testament. He, he uses certain people, and miracles happen. But it's always God doing it. And here we have Jesus stand up and above, go from sleeping. He's not worried at all. Stands up, says, what are you worried about? Why are you so afraid? Simply speaks the word. And even the chaos waters listen. That's beautiful. And that's encouraging, right? When we're going through life and it feels like we have been struggling, this has been a losing battle. I, I picture the disciples, they're in the boat, they're rowing away, and, and how these boats would work, there'd normally be about four uh, oars that they would be rowing with and somebody in the back with a, with a big, strong rudder, and they'd be taking turns because they'd be getting worn out, and they've been fighting this storm. Again, they're experienced at this. They're good at it. It's not like they threw you and me in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and said, good luck. I just I picture like whitewater rafting. And they're like, eh, here's your two minutes of training. Good thing that person in the back knows what they're doing. This is beautiful stuff and so encouraging. So my question today is, can you relate? Can you relate to these disciples? Are there battles that you have been fighting for so long without crying out for help, relying on your own strength, relying on your own experience, your own know-how, but you can feel it slipping away? Not a, it's not a winning battle. You can feel it happening. No matter how hard you try, you can feel that the chaos is winning. And you don't know what to do. I think many of us enter into this vicious cycle of fear and anxiety, and self-reliance. And if that's not 
you know, bad enough, then sometimes we'll throw in a little shame. We'll throw in a little regret. And it's like we expect the battle to go well. And then when it's not going well, then, then we're back into fear and anxiety and self-reliance. And then we find out how that goes for, I don't know, five minutes. And then we're back in with shame and regret. And we try to control it ourselves when we need to hand it over to Jesus. It sounds so harsh when you first read it, but I love this question. Why are you so afraid? Why are they so afraid? Because they think they're going to die in a storm. That is a terrifying thing. Because they've been fighting and they've been, they've been doing all they can do and it's not working. There's two schools of thought here. Some scholars think they cry out to Jesus because they've seen him do miracles. Other people think they cry out to him because he's asleep in the back of the boat and he should be doing something. I don't know which one it's actually saying. Like, hey, there's five of us, and there's a sixth guy sleeping on the boat. <laughs> don't you care? <laughs> Get up. Help us. And I don't even know who they're asking for help. And he gets up, and he says, why are you afraid? You're afraid of this storm? Don't you know who you're dealing with? Don't you know who this Jesus is? This storm frightens you? You know this Babylonian god, Marduk? He almost died fighting the water. Jesus just says a word. The whole thing is that Jesus promised to be with us also. That's not just true for the disciples. Didn't Jesus promise in Matthew 28, 20 that he'd be right alongside you no matter what you go through? The very last words of the Gospel of Matthew. Now we have the benefit of reading ahead. It says this, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Little Bible study 101, when it starts with surely, believe it. <laughs> He's emphasizing it. Why is he emphasizing it? Because you, you might not believe it. Because you might have a hard time believing it. So he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And isn't this the same Jesus that calmed the storm with only his word? And I think there's places in all of our lives where we're not leaning on God, where we're not leaning on Christ. We're trying to fight the battles in our own strength. There's this beautiful... Uh, saying it's in many songs and many Christian things and uh, I've even seen it crocheted on pillows and, and I love it 
And it goes like this, and it's so true. It says, sometimes he calms the storm, and sometimes he calms his child. And I don't know what kind of storm you're in. I believe he could just speak the word. But that's not how it works in our lives all the time, right? Sometimes Jesus will calm the storm that is around us when we cry out to him, and sometimes he will calm us. But both are worth crying out for.